Hey, it's Tom with Forging Ahead, and I have Tara Atwood with me today. So Tara, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself however you like to be introduced? Sure. Thanks, Tom, for having me. Um, My name is Tara Atwood, and I am a sound bath and meditation expert. I'm also a two-time entrepreneur um, and have really traveled around the world spreading awareness on mental health, meditation, mindfulness, um, and also helping entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. Can you... um so just to put like a placeholder, I'd love to go first with, I told you before we hit record that I spent some time on your about page on your website and there's just so much there and I'd love to have you share your story with us and then we'll circle back and talk about what sound bath is and then maybe um, a little bit of some of the meditation work that you're doing too. Sure. Um, so my, I guess my journey is kind of odd. There's no real path. Everyone will say, well, how did you get to where you are today? I'm like, I don't know. It's a long, long journey of lots of closed doors, um, and lots of open doors that I never even knew existed. Uh, so I started my career, um, kind of randomly. Like I just graduated, moved to New York city, kind of got the typical job that would just give me a lot of money and good health insurance. So I found myself in finance, working for hedge funds and private equity. Um, I was good at it, but I didn't love it. So I did that for about 10 years. Um, and in New York city, you're just constantly on the go. Like, you know, I'm in my twenties, I'm climbing the corporate ladder. I'm in a industry that is mostly men. And I felt like I just needed to prove myself. Um, so I didn't really have a whole lot of balance, um, just mostly working. And it was when I was about 32 years old around that age. Yeah, maybe 30. I, um, wasn't feeling well, right. I didn't feel in balance. I felt like my body was really run down and they often say like, when you are stressed, you start to have dis-ease. So I had this dis-ease of the body. Things didn't feel right. Um, and if you don't listen to your body, it turns into disease, right? So people will have like nervous breakdowns or they'll have some type of illness. And so for me, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and I was pretty shocked. Um, I had no idea that's what was wrong with me. I was just, I mean, I remember that day vividly. It was like a Friday and my doctor called and was like, um, we need you to come into the office. And I was like, well, why can you just tell me over the phone? Like, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm too busy to come see you. And she was like, no, like you need to come in. And I was like, okay. And then I just sat down and I like literally just blacked out when she said, you know, you have a brain tumor. Um, and so, you know, I met with my neurologist in New York city and he was this amazing German guy who had this more like Eastern philosophy about him. And he just said to me, you need to learn to breathe. Um, You know, really learn to breathe, like do something that relaxes your mind because you are so stressed out. And this is no way that you could ever heal your body if you're this stressed out. Um, So I did that. I really learned to breathe. Um, And I started meditating quite regularly, um, doing yoga And I found such profound um, effects to my practice. Um, I felt like a different person. Um, I saw life in a totally different way. I just like started to realize, wow, like if we have one life, like am I really living um, a life that has meaning to me and 
would I be happy with how I've lived my life so far? Like if I died tomorrow, would I look back and be like, oh yeah, that was an amazing life. And really, honestly, it wasn't. Like I just felt like, no, it's not. So yeah, I think that's sort of where, um, yeah, my kind of path broke off and I took this detour. Um, and so, yeah, I moved, I ended up um, leaving New York City, uh, got rid of my New York City apartment, ended an eight-year relationship, um, quit my career that I had like taken so long to build, which people were like, are you having a midlife crisis? Like your life is literally perfect. And I was like, no, it's not. Um, I was like, I'm, I feel like I'm having like an awakening in a way. So I moved to India um, and I just sort of learned about the ancient practice of meditation and sound healing. And that's kind of, yeah, that's how I got to where I am now. There's so much in there and there's so many like big changes that it feels like you took on all at once, I guess, to think about, um, how did you get started? So you see the doctor and he talks about learning how to breathe and putting yourself in a place where you'll be able to heal. What were some of the first steps that you took for towards like yoga and meditation so that if somebody hears this and is on a similar path and is feeling similar feelings about that sort of like keyed up existence of always racing around, like where do you start? Yeah. I mean, for me, I just, um, looked at what I was surrounding myself with. They say the five people you surrounded, surround yourself with kind of show who you are. Um, and again, that's why I was like, okay, well, like this job isn't serving me well, or the career choice really, it wasn't necessarily the job. It's just the career choice wasn't serving me. Um, a relationship I was in was really toxic. So I was like, well, that, like, how can I really breathe and be relaxed if I'm in something that also stresses me out? Um, and then just like my social life and like the people who your community, like what is my community? And I really didn't have any community. Um, so I, I, I first initially just changed my environment. Um, I moved to Brooklyn. I realized Manhattan was too crazy for me. It was too intense. So I moved to Brooklyn, Williamsburg. Um, and I just really focused on you know, who I wanted to surround myself with, the people I wanted to surround myself with. And the first person I met with this was this woman, woman, sorry, I can't speak, was this woman, um, Heather. And Heather was my neighbor. And um, she instantly became like my best friend. And it was really serendipitous. She had just finished her yoga teacher training. I was kind of explaining to her sort of what I was feeling. And she was just like, well, let's start going to yoga together. And I just paired up with someone. And I think when someone holds you accountable, um, and you can kind of like have someone to do it with, it makes it a little easy. So it, it really began with just changing my environment and just taking one step to take one class. Um, and it was from there, I just started to meet, um, you know, different practitioners. Um, Alex Shari was one of them. She's a very um, wonderful yoga um, practitioner. And she was doing a lot of like retreats, um, and so I, I went on a retreat with her and it just started from there. You know, it's, I think you just put one foot in and things just start to happen. Do you remember what it, what it felt like to make all of those big changes? Like, I think that you've got some distance from them now. So the way that you talk about them, 
it feels easy and part of your story now, but like, do you, do you remember how it felt to like, it's no easy thing to kind of get rid of the people that are around you and replace them with people that are more supportive. Do you remember like what you were feeling around that time? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of things, right? Like I knew I need to make certain changes, but then there's this whole external influence. Like a lot of people telling me, what are you doing? You're having a midlife crisis. Like you had such a great job. You were making this money and you, you know, had a prestigious title. Like why would you want to do all that? And so there was like this huge pressure too to like not change my life. Um, And I think in that moment, I just started trusting my gut And being like, okay, like there is something inside of me telling me I have to do this. Like it's some feeling I have. Um, And I think what I did was I took away all the expectations. So like throughout life, I always had such high expectations. Okay, I have to do this. And if I don't do this, I'm a failure. For the first time, I was like, I'm not going to have any expectations. I'm just going to be really open And you know what, if at the end of the day, I go back to a finance job or whatever, fine, but I at least need to try and I'll give myself, you know, a 12 month period to just try it out. And I think when I just broke down a lot of the high expectations I have, or I had, that was what made it a little bit easier. Um, And also like, it wasn't easy, like nothing you really want is going to be that easy. And they say like everything you want is on the other side of fear. A lot of um, a lot of it just comes from in your head. So a lot of it is like the stories we create. Um, and I think it was going back to okay, I'm not going to create these stories. Like I'm going to doubt myself. I'm going to have a million reasons as to why this isn't going to work. But instead, I tried to just like rephrase it of, well, why wouldn't it work? Right. Like why wouldn't it work? Um, it will be fine. Like everything ultimately always works out. Like if you look at your life now, how you got here, there's always stuff that happened to get to where you are, but it always works out. So that's what I kept telling myself. Like, you know, it'll be fine. I also read a lot of books. So one in particular was finding your North star, um, by Martha Beck. Um, At the time when my doctor said, learn to breathe, and I started just doing meditation and stuff, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to become a meditation teacher or I'm going to like go on this path of entrepreneurship. I was just thinking like, oh, this is what I'm going to do for myself. Um, And so I read the book, Finding Your North Star, because I was like, well, if not finance, then what else? Um, And I just started writing. It's very workshoppy. So I started writing in like different cues that she said, you know, what makes you happy or what brings you joy or what makes you feel like inspired. And, you know, I started writing stuff down. um, And then I realized, wow, a lot of it has to do with like the wellness space and the mental health and feeling good and, and this balance and all this stuff. And I was like, well, I don't even know how that's ever going to work out. Like, what is like, can you go to college for this? Like, can you go to college and be like, Hey, I want to be like, you know, somebody that works in the wellness space of alternative wellness or Eastern wellness. I, I wasn't sure. I didn't really know. Um, and then she, so I read that book and after, you know, years later now that I've been obviously through my journey of India and now I'm teaching, um, meditation and working with entrepreneurs and so forth. Um, she followed up with a book called, um, steering by starlight. So it's the first thing is finding your North star. I felt like I found that, okay, this is where I'm going to follow it. It's telling me, you know, India is really my North star go there. 
Um, and then after I really figured out, oh, this is what I really want to do with my life. This feels right. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like I'm so passionate about this and I want to help others. Um, this steering by starlight, this follow-up book was really like, okay, well now what? Like now you've figured out what you want to do, but it's really friggin' hard. And she, she talks about this ring of fire. Like everything you want is in the center of this ring of fire, but you first have to go through the ring to get there. And it was so encouraging because at the times where you feel like, oh my gosh, this is so hard or like you're in tears because you're like, is it ever going to work? What did I do? Why did I make my life even harder than it was? You realize, oh, all of us have gone through this ring of fire to get to where we really truly want to be. And so, yeah. I'd love to talk about some of your training. Um, Does it make sense to talk about India as a starting point or as part of that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what specifically like the meditation stuff? Yeah, I guess. Um, so right now, I guess, tell us some of the classes that you teach now. And then if we can use those as like a finishing point and work backwards from like, how did you learn how to teach that stuff? Yeah. So right now I primarily teach, um, sound baths. So it will be a one hour or 90 minute sound bath. Um, so it really, I mean, sound, a sound bath is really a form of meditation. It's a passive form of meditation. It's one of my favorite forms of meditation. So basically I just take you on this journey in the class. I basically tell you to be fully present, um, arrive to the space. So often we arrive physically to a space, but our mind is elsewhere, thinking about whatever preceded that moment or what's to come. So I encourage people and invite people to fully arrive. Um, And we talk a little bit about meditation. I think uh, one part that's unique about my class is I don't let you just go about it that you're just experiencing it per se, which is an an amazing thing to do to experience meditation. But I want to educate you first because I don't want people to just lie down on their backs and be like, okay, this woman is playing music. It sounds nice to really understand the why and the purpose of it. Um, So we do a lot of um, kind of like educational pieces. So I'll have you count your breath, right? Like let's take 60 seconds, count how many breaths you take, understand what that means. If your breath count is over a 10, you know, or under a 10, what does that mean for the mind? And what does that mean for the body? Um, you know, what's going on in the body when you feel stressed, you know, when the breath is elevated, what actually is happening in the mind and the body? Um, you know, and then how can you use the breath to relax the mind and body and essentially heal itself? Um, And so then the rest of the class is really about the experience. So I take you on a journey in guided meditation and imagery through yoga nidra, it's called, um, which is yogi sleep, really. Um, And it's it's a very deep relaxation um, where you can uh, feel sensations of the body. Um, And then I go into the sound bath, which is using the vibrations of bowls. So crystal alchemy bowls and also Tibetan singing bowls. And they all create this 
deep vibration and sound, obviously it's not only heard, but it's also felt through the entire body and it goes deep into every cell. Um, and when the body is not harmonized and not in sync, uh, your vibration, it's not vibrating the way it's supposed to. And so the bowls take over and they vibrate in a way that resonates with certain parts of the body. So if you think of um, acupuncture, uh, when you go to an acupuncturist, they put needles in certain parts of the body, which are your energy channels, which starts moving the energy. In yoga, you do asanas that focus on um, the nadis. So you have 72,000 nadis throughout the body, which are these energy circles. So if you're doing twists or, um, you know, inversions, it starts to change certain chemistry of the body. So similar to the bowls, when the bowls are vibrating, they focus on parts of the body, which we call the chakras. Um, and so it just starts to reharmonize and resynchronize. Um, yeah. And you feel a lot more relaxed, a lot more open, and the body can then start to heal itself in this way. So how did you, how did you learn about that? <laughs> like, how did it feels like, um, if I, if you said to me, Tom, you're going to, uh, teach a meditation class with singing bowls. I wouldn't know where to start. So like, how did you get started on that? And just tell us a little bit about like how you learned that. Sure. Um, so I would say, you know, that's probably the biggest question, especially people who want to, you know, be a meditation teacher or facilitate sound therapy. Um, again, it, it's not like there's this like linear path to being a meditation teacher or sound therapist. Um, I kind of went into it like, I love what this is doing for me. And I want more of this from the place that it started, which is in India. Um, and so I went out there and I did a yoga teacher training um, that was facilitated by um, a, a gentleman named Sadir. And he is from India, and he is also a meditation teacher. So I meditated every day um, in the morning and in the evening with him for one month, plus I did the yoga. Uh, so that was my first sort of toe into teaching um, at a very basic level, right? Yoga teacher training 200 hours is kind of the, the entry level of becoming a teacher, then I moved to another part of India, which would be more of like an ashram. So this was like a meditation school where I learned from um, my meditation guru. And he basically, I spent a month with him every day from morning to evening, learning deep about meditation. And so it goes back to, okay, you can be taught, right? You can tell somebody something, but now they have to experience it. And so one thing I really valued in my education with him was that everything he told me, he had me experience. So it wasn't like I was just blindly told, okay, this is how it is. This is how people are going to feel. This is what it does to the body. It's like, no, I want you to experience it. And then let's talk about it. Um, and so basically that's how he facilitated his training. And then a little bit of, I would say, apprentice work because now I'm also going to be working under him, right? Like facilitating some meditation um, under his direction to other people. I started doing small classes um, in India um, at, you know, one place in particular was Magic Park and just kind of getting feedback how people were feeling. I think the unique thing about my training, though, like I said, is that I came from a place of that I needed this so badly for myself that I, I knew how it impacted me 
that when I was able to give it to people, I could, I could do it in a way that uh, resonated with how I felt when I received. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, and like the place that I'd love to go next, if you think it makes sense, is you mentioned a while back that you had this finance career that was, you mm-hmm. know, linear progression of climbing the corporate ladder. Then you make all these changes and you're wondering like what next? And you also mentioned uh, being a two-time founder. So yeah. trying to bridge the finance to then this big, huge transition where you change a lot of stuff, you learn a lot of new things to, you know, starting businesses and working with entrepreneurs. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So part while I was in finance, I always knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. So even before I had been diagnosed with my brain tumor, I would sit down with my boss who was amazing, Tom, and I'd be like, Hey Tom, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, like I would, I was totally transparent and he was great. Cause he's like, yeah, we love you. We want you to stay, but obviously we know you're not going to do this forever. So, okay. Yes. How can I help you? And I started thinking at that point, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know what I want to do, but I'd like to just own my own business. Um, I, you know, in my finance career, you know, when I think about, okay, well, what are the positives that come out of it? When I was working for the hedge funds, when I was working for the private equity, I was fundraising. So I raised $3 billion for entrepreneurs, right? At the private equity. That's what I had to do. I was raising money, going to investors saying, okay, we need this. This is what we're funding. So marketing and pitching to them. And then I was able to work with the entrepreneurs who had these mostly tech companies to be like, okay, you know, what's happening now that we can showcase to these investors. So I was always like this middle person that was like the finance communicator um, and marketer. So when I started thinking about that, I was like, okay, I really always like admired these entrepreneurs. It's always something I loved to do. I mean, I started a little business when I was in high school. I really enjoyed it. Like who's to say I can't be the entrepreneur. So I ended up applying to business school. um, And my boss at the time was like, yeah, go to business school. You can work here and be in business school. Um, When I got diagnosed with a brain tumor, I ultimately ended up going to business school full time. Um, But that's where I kind of started thinking about a career change. So I was in business school in New York City, and my um, focus was entrepreneurship and sustainability. Um, And so, yeah, I think when I graduated is when I kind of was like, okay, well, now's the time. I'll just move to India. Like nothing's holding me in New York. I'm not in business school. Like literally my lease is ending soon. Like I can kind of get out of here. So, um, so that's that's sort of how I made that transition from finance into what I'm doing. I think, um, yeah, knowing that, okay, I was going to become an entrepreneur. And that time, I also, in business school, they oftentimes like to have you work on something, especially with entrepreneurship, an idea. And for a while, my mom, who's an herbalist and aromatherapist, um, had been creating products. And when I had been diagnosed with this you know, brain tumor, I even deepened my understanding of, well, what are we putting on the body? Um, our, our skin is our largest organ. Like I need to be more mindful of like what I'm doing in terms of wellness. Like wellness isn't just about going to the gym all the time or, you know, eating an apple every day. It's also like, well, what are you putting on your skin? What are you surrounding yourself with? How are you living? Are you sleeping? Mindfulness, et cetera. So it's, it's a 360, very holistic approach, um, to wellness. So with her, 
we just started making these products. So like skincare products, lotions, because most skincare products have such junk in it. I think it's 1,400 ingredients in cosmetics are banned in the EU and only 11 at the time in 2012 were banned in America. I think they're up to 30 now, but still, that's a huge discrepancy. So we started making skincare products and um, made them for some friends, really dived into my business school about like the skincare. Okay, here's what I'm building. I was in an incubator during business school. I did pitch competitions during business school. And that's when I just started selling my product. Um, we ended up in like several like high-end magazines. Um, I was able to kind of do it from anywhere. So when I moved to India, I was like, okay, I'll just keep selling this. Like I can do this from anywhere. It's a serum. Um, it's an awesome serum, but I can literally sell this anywhere. Um, and then we started doing some aromatherapy oils and it was just coincidental that it was very um, related to really mindfulness and meditation. Um, so then my second business was really this mindful meditation workshop kind of service that I provide to people. And, um, do you still run both businesses now or? Yeah. So, so the green beauty movement in 2012, um, is a lot different than the green beauty movement now. Now it's so saturated. Everyone's getting into the plant-based organic skincare and um, good or bad. I was sort of like, I, I don't really want to compete with anybody. Um, I, I started it for myself. I didn't start it to be a multimillionaire in the skincare business. Like I literally just created skincare for myself and, um, for that reason, I mean, I still have it, um, but I've sort of decided to kind of wind it down because I didn't want it to become something that I felt was this grind, right? Like the grind of, oh, in order to keep myself relevant, I need to get, you know, a PR agent and spend five, 10 grand a month. And I, I just, or compromise the ingredients in my products to increase my margins. Like I just didn't ever want to go there. So I've kept it like very, very small, um, kind of like, I don't really market it to anyone, but our current client, our current people who purchase already. And at one point we tried to wind it down and then people were like so mad. They're like, wait, what? We love it. Where am I going to get it? And they were buying like 20 bottles to try to like, you know, conserve their, their, their amount that they had. But, um, so we kind of do it on the DL, I would say to give you, yeah, <laughs> long story short, we have it on the DL. Um, and then of course my meditation mindfulness is sort of where I've put all my focus on top of like helping entrepreneurs. Can we talk a little bit about your workshop business and, and, um, how you run it and maybe how you market and sure. kind of take that wherever you want? Sure. So when I was living in India, um, again, it was like weird because I didn't set these expectations. I just had said to myself like, okay, for 12 months, I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to be so open and I'm not going to overplan because when you overplan, you do not allow yourself to have the ability to take on whatever comes your way. Um, and things do come to you. Oddly, they really do. Um, so when I was in India, I had met this guy, Walter, who owned a practice in Italy, um, alma maters, and he said to me, like, hey, you're awesome. Like, can you come out to Italy, teach at my school for a bit? And I was like, 
oh my God, yeah, I'd love to, who wouldn't want to go to Italy? So, um, and, and court, sort of the season changes in India. Uh, there's a period of time where you, you, you really, like it's rainy season. Um, so I was like, okay. So I moved to Italy. Um, I think it was like end of April um, after my stint in India. And um, I worked at his school for a bit. But in the meantime, Another friend had told me about an, uh, a resort that was opening up or had just opened in northern Italy, and that was focused on meditation, mindfulness, yoga, um, and it was called Mandali. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to work there. So I reached out to them, and I was like, of course, my A-type <laughs> pumps in, and I'm like... I have my MBA, I, you know, I've founder of a business, I have great marketing, finance, like organizational skills, plus I'm a meditation teacher and I can teach yoga. And so they were like, uh, Dunzo, like come and work for us. So I basically spent the summer working there as well, um, where I was able to put on, you know, kind of, again, test the waters a little bit, like what do people feel about my classes? What are they looking for? And there it was unique because every seven days, a new group of people came. So it's a retreat center. They host three, five, and eight-day retreats every single week. And it's people from all over the world that are going there. And it's stunning. Um, and very like famous teachers go. Elena Brower is one of them. She's like a very premier um, meditation yoga teacher. Um, and so she was there and I was able to really like kind of pick their brain. And it, I, I almost feel like it was my market research. Um, like what do people feel? What do they need? Why are they coming to these retreats for three or five or eight days? Like what are they looking for? And what was so amazing is I lived at the resort when people came in day one on a Saturday, it was crazy because everyone would arrive at like 2 PM and they'd be so crazed and stressed and that's not even Americans. These were like Northern Europeans who are like supposed to be super chill. Um, so you can imagine Americans showing up. Um, but they would be like, oh my gosh, like all a little nervous, like so like just on edge, like, okay, where's my room? Like, where do I do this? And where do I do that? Like not at peace, I would say, right? By day three or four, people would be like sobbing and like just this transformation in just a few days. Um, and then by the end, Saturday morning, when they're all leaving, everyone's just happy and just like so chill, like not like so worried about, well, when's the cab coming and when's they just, just really relaxed. And so I realized it doesn't necessarily take a whole lot of time for people to break out of, you know, this feeling of stress. All they need is a little bit of space to just break that cycle. And it could be a 20 minute meditation even that they've broken it. You know, by Sunday morning, a lot of them already felt more relaxed. So it was then I realized, okay, I can, I can do like these 60 to 90 minute, like, cause most people can't take eight days and go to Italy financially, or maybe because of jobs, what can they do to integrate this in their life every single day? So it has greater impact. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I ultimately ended up um, doing as I, after my stint in Italy, I said, okay, let me bring this back to America where people need it the most. And I don't think that there's a whole lot of um, teachers out there um, or ways to meditate, right? We have a million yoga studios, but we have like very little meditation studios. Um, and so I came to America. I was kind of going back and forth between Italy and America 
And I just started teaching these like one hour classes and 90 minute classes. And like, at first I was like, is anyone going to show up? (laughs) And the first time, yeah, a few people came. um, And now they're like, they've just increased, right? Word of mouth is great. People feel this like profound effect. That's just indescribable for them. um, Life changing. Um, And now like I teach these classes all over from, you know, Boston to New York city. Um, I've had classes as many as 200 people to, you know, 20 people. Um, and there are, yeah. So I, I primarily focus on 60 to 90 minute workshops. Um, I sometimes pair up. I just did an awesome, um, like mind, body, soul retreat, which is just a morning. So three hours. So again, it doesn't have to be that it's two weeks long. It can be that it's one day. It can be three hours. Um, but I hooked up with Kelly Brabantz who does, um, booty by Brabantz. And so she did like this fitness kind of dancing. And I explained to people like, in a way, it's a form of meditation because we have active meditation where you start moving the body. And when you're moving the body, you're out of your head. That's why there's yoga. You know, you're moving the body. You go into Shavasana, which is the passive meditation to then relax. Um, walking meditation. So, so Kelly was doing this movement of the body. And then I came in to do the sound bath, this passive meditation. And so that's how I've been facilitating. And also companies, um, have come to me. So I've been teaching within corporations. So, um, you know, I have Vertex here in Boston has, um, done meditation for their scientists. Scientists requested it, which is amazing. I was so happy when they did this. Um, PricewaterhouseCoopers is doing, um, a workshop series with me. Um, and then, yeah, I have a few in New York city, Lafayette, metal and glass. So it's becoming big, not only just with individual people, but also corporations. What do you think is going on to cause this shift in have like the fact that big corporations are recognizing a need and reaching out and saying, this group of people need meditation or sound bath or a way to relax. Like what's going on that that's becoming more acceptable or mainstream? Sure. I mean, I think that corporations are realizing that, you know, it's, it's vital for, for, their employees to feel relaxed if they need more productivity, if they want employees not to have such high turnover, if they want employee engagement and happiness, like they need to provide opportunities for employees to really um, work on their mental health. And I think that there's enough scientific backing at this point for companies to truly see the significance of bringing this in. Um, I think Harvard came out with a study for every $1 you put into an employee's mental health and wellness, you get a $2 return. Um, so it's, it's really, uh, I mean, it's an obvious, like there is a win-win on both sides for incorporating, um, you know, wellness practices. And I think, Employees are looking for something outside the standard, right? We've always said, okay, you can get a gym membership and you can have, um, you know, time off and vacation or whatever it is. But when people start to see, okay, meditation and mindfulness as this movement in the Western world, I mean, this has been around 2,500 years in the East, but it's starting to really become a movement in the West. I think 
reason is, is we're used to all going, going, going. And this is the first time where people are saying, no, stop, just stop. You can be okay stopping. And I think that's something very new to us. Yeah, I absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about the work that you do with entrepreneurs? Sure. Um, so when I came back from Italy, I was like, okay, I'll teach some classes. And most of my classes are nights and weekends. And community is a huge thing for me. Like I said that earlier on this kind of podcast is creating a sense of community, who you surround yourself with. And I knew, okay, I don't want to just plant myself in Boston and, and that's kind of it. Like how can I have bigger impact? How can I also change other people's lives? How I changed my own of finding your purpose, finding your passion, not giving up when you feel like you're going to give up. Um, and so I was, you know, doing some research and I found Venture Cafe Foundation. It's this global, you know, nonprofit that's all over the world from Tokyo and Australia and they're in Spain and Poland in America. And I thought, oh my gosh, this foundation is is helping entrepreneurs and they're putting on programs to help the entrepreneurs. So I think I wrote the director on LinkedIn and I was like, hey, similar to what I did with Mandali, like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Um, how can we work together? Um, and he, yeah, like I think next day he was like, yeah, come in, let's sit down, let's have a meeting. And we just talked about, um, you know, what they're doing. And the mission really is to help the entrepreneurial community in Boston, get more people to be entrepreneurs, um, you know, even thinking about the recession in 2008, entrepreneurship and small business is what is more resilient against recession. So if Boston can align themselves as a stronger city because they have entrepreneurs and small business, this is, a, again, a win-win for both. Now you have people who are living with purpose and also supporting kind of the economy. So I came on um, as a programming um manager at District Hall and Roxbury Innovation Center, which are both run by Venture Cafe Foundation. So I put on lots of different programs. Um, I just did one that was our larger. So three times a year, we put on this larger event. So the last one I put on was Inspire Wellness. And it was about mental health, specifically for entrepreneurs, but for anyone. So what are certain like strategies that you can do to optimize your mental health and well-being? Um, and I had a panelist of entrepreneurs speak to that topic, right? So uh, having them engaged. So we had a few hundred people at that event. I did another one, um, which was, again, going back to this cafe night, Inspire Her. So focusing on entrepreneurs um, in Boston that are women. Um, and I'm about to launch tomorrow an eight-week accelerator. So it's called Launch. So it's basically taking your idea and moving it through an eight-week course um, to hopefully by the end you're ready to like pitch your idea. So it'll be eight weeks, eight different sessions, experts on each topic. So I have a group of different um, mentors coming in that will speak to it, and it's two hours um, on Tuesday morning. So hopefully we'll do it again. I mean, it's it's basically sold out, um, which is amazing. I was so happy. So. Yeah. And then putting on pitch competitions. So really just supporting entrepreneurs where they are um, and hopefully help them start and grow their business and really not give up. That's my biggest thing. Like, don't give up. It's going to get hard. It's going to get really hard. Don't give up. 
how do you manage your time between everything that you have going on? So you're, when I go to your site and I look at like where you're teaching, you're teaching all over the place and you're putting on these workshops and classes and pitch events and panels. How do you figure out how to fit all that in? Yeah. I mean, I have this quote I always say is don't overpromise and underdeliver. So I never overpromise for sure, but I'm always very busy. <laughs> so I think the biggest thing is I don't waste time. Um, I'm super efficient. I do not spend nearly as much time as most people on stuff that is absolutely not necessary. Um, I generally have a very focused kind of weekly agenda. So like I know, okay, on Fridays I get gas and like literally most of the time I never need gas at that point. You know, I check my mail once a week, open it and get rid of all the mail at that point. Um, Those are little things. I'm very specific with my email. If you email me, it'll say I mindfully read emails um, Wednesdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. for my meditation business. Um, I also, you know, I guess I would say like saying no. Warren Buffett said something. The most successful people, not successful people, the most successful people say no more often than they say yes. Um, And so I try to stick to what can I say no to that's really not essential. So like for me, like Facebook is a definite no. I need to be on it because I have to market myself, but I definitely don't have it on my phone. Um, I, yeah, the simple things, like like I said, I have an app called Streak. Um, Streak is this amazing app, which is like focuses on the top 12 things that you want to accomplish in a day. Those are like my main things. I focus on those. And I, I honestly, I just try to get rid of a lot of the noise around me. Um, I, I just don't waste time. I try not to waste any time. So yeah, does that kind of answer? Because I yeah. think that's most people are like, hey, I have no time. And it's like, we will, we all have 24 hours in a day. How can literally, like, I look at your schedule, I could do circles around it and I'm able to like accomplish what I do. So I just look at like, they're wasting a lot of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I want to do two more things. So I want to finish by um, giving you some space to talk about where people can find out about you. But before that, let's say somebody's listening to this and is intrigued about meditation and sound bath. Like to me, the, the friction of getting yourself into one of those rooms is probably the hardest part about starting. It's like you're visiting the site, you know, that the class is out there, you're a little unsure of what to expect. There's some fear. Like, what would you say to somebody to like help nudge them into that room for the first time? Yeah, I think I get a lot of messages from people on Instagram or email or wherever just being like, hey, I've never done this. I'm new. Can I still attend? And I'm like, oh my gosh, of course. Um, There's this real strong, like, uh, I guess, barrier of entry, I would say, not to speak to business school lingo. Um, But there's a barrier to entry because everyone has this perceived notion that meditation, either one has some sort of like secular 
you know, religion around it, like Buddhism, of course, it's part of a Buddhist practice, but meditation on its own is, is a practice on its own. Um, also, you don't need to meditate like the Buddha. Um, meditation has lots of different ways to meditate. So some people think we're going to sit the whole time in class with our legs crossed in total silence. I had a woman come, she was forced to come and it's a class of, I think it was 50 and it was a quite a large room. And so she came with her daughter cause she thought my daughter forced me to come. And I thought, what, how am I going to meditate for 90 minutes? This is ridiculous. So she brought a book and she was just going to sit in the back of the class and read her book. And she came at the end of the 90 minute session and she was like, told me, like I came to read the book and I didn't open it once. Like that was incredible. Um, I think you just have to strip away all the ideas that you have of what meditation is um, and realize you're coming into a space for you. It's really just this gift for you. So if you come and you lie down and that's all you do in my class, fine, that's your practice. But you're going to learn about ways you can just pause, right? You're going to learn about ways that you can take time for yourself. We very rarely make time for ourselves. We're always giving, giving, giving. So I think just come with this thought that this is the gift for you. There's no expectation from you. This is your practice. You can come in, do it as you please. You'll learn some things. You'll learn strategies. And essentially, you're just going to take time for yourself. Where would you tell people to go that want to learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, my website, Tara Atwood, so T-A-R-A-A-T-W-O-O-D at Gmail. Oh, sorry. That's not even my email. <laughs> like, so, so, um, rewind, taraatwood.com. Um, if you go there, you'll see a calendar of all my events. So you can attend one, of course. But aside from that, I've created this area um, on the website, Sound Bass and Meditation, so you can understand deeper what it is. So what's a sound bath, you know, an introduction to meditation, uh, you know, what you should expect, what's a class etiquette, what are some FAQs on meditation, check it out. I also have testimonials so you can see what other people, um, you know, are feeling after they've experienced it. Um, I'm also on Instagram uh, at Tara Sales, so S-A-I-L-S. That's not my last name. I just like to sail boats. Um, but on there, I always am putting my schedule, but also I'll put photos. I'll be put, I put testimonials. I put different, um, you know, learning tips on meditation, mindfulness. So that's definitely an opportunity to just kind of um, dip your toe in. And then I also write a monthly letter um, so you can sign up for that in the monthly letter, literally just talks about a meditation you can do at home, um, music you can listen to. So even if you're not listening to me play, like what are songs you could listen to? Because even music outside of meditation and sound baths can have, a very, uh, similar effects in terms of relaxing. Cool. Well, I wanted to, uh, to say thanks for doing this. It was really fun. And I will, uh, definitely be listening back because there's so much there, including the books that you recommended at the beginning. And, uh, so thanks. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I'll, I'll let you know when I, when I publish this so we can, uh, spread the word. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. I, I really appreciate it. I think this is so important for more and more people to know, um, what meditation is. And I think, in anything, there's always the initial people who will try. There, there tend to be a lot more um, 
willing to go outside the comfort um, of what say something unknown is. And so being able to, for people to listen through a podcast or however, it, it, it opens the door. It starts breaking down that barrier I was talking about. So thank you. Cool. Thanks, Tara. I'll talk to you soon.